thank you for the teacher that you provided to us. You said in your word, Father, that it's to our advantage, Father. It's expedient for us that you would send the Spirit of God, Father. And it has been to our advantage for him to live on the inside of us and to be our teacher and guide in all things of life, all things related to you, Father. And so we depend upon you and your Spirit to, to speak to us, to teach us, to lead us and guide us into all truth, Father. And we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's open our Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Uh, we'll continue there. Uh, we've been uh, talking about uh, where Paul has, was uh, concerned about um, <clears throat> in verse 2 there, or actually Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, beware of dogs and evil workers and beware of the concision. And we were just talking about how Paul had, had run into a lot of people um, in the Word of God and uh, documented a lot of these things and, and named names, right? And so... Um, <clears throat> I thought it'd be helpful to take a little side journey and just uh, discuss some of the people that he had run-ins with and some of the situations and uh, and really just to learn from that you know um, uh, the thing that's interesting is Paul named names right and then recorded it in the Word of God which will be around till forever right uh, aren't you glad your name's not written in the Word of God as a negative right and that you know that chip fella you know uh, you know he's the worst uh, and so uh, but uh, uh, you know, so that, you know, from, from my perspective and even from all of our perspective, you know, uh, there's a balance in everything, amen? And from my perspective, there's no law, right? So the, the law is, uh, you know, we're not going to make a law that says you always name names, right? You publicly declare these people having problems. Uh, and because, first of all, you don't know all the background of what's going on, right? More than likely, these were things that happened over a long period of time or some period of time. And Paul had tried to work with them, and they just became belligerent, just would not yield to Paul's uh, authority or, or his uh, wisdom. And so their name was named. So should you always publicly uh, call out somebody's name if they're not behaving uh, well? Well, no, I don't think that uh, you should make a law like that, amen. Uh, but in the same regards, I don't know that you make a law that you never name names. Right? And so, you know, uh, now... I guess we've been a church for 14 years, right? We've never publicly named anybody's name that said, hey, so-and-so, you know, here in the church, um, you know, you need to straighten up. Uh, you know, there have been people that I've had to talk to that uh, over the years to straighten up, but I did that in privately. And, you know, some of them recovered themselves. Some of them didn't recover themselves in a sense that they ended up leaving the ministry. And that wasn't, wasn't my desire or goal in that. But, you know... Um, one thing I will do as a pastor is I will protect the flock here. I will protect the ministry. And if people just want to, I'm not so concerned about sin as I am for people stirring up strife, which is, of course is sin, but, you know, people aren't perfect. I'm not concerned about imperfect people in the church. I'm concerned about people who are trying to destroy the church, right, and try to overthrow the church and try to, you know, usurp the authority in the church and just cause trouble, right, just causing problems. And we've had people like that, you know, and it's unfortunate. And, and, you know, we'll have people like that tomorrow. We don't have it right now. We don't have anybody like that, right? So all you all good, right? So, uh, but, um, but it's part of the job, amen. You know, someone was telling me, I'd never be a pastor because you got to deal with people like that. Well, yeah, I mean, but, you know, 99% of the people are great people, wonderful people, and, and the amazing people that you enjoy spending time with and teaching and, and fellowshipping with. And, you know, it's 1% or less than 1% of the people are just, you know, need to move on and go somewhere else, amen? <clears throat> and so, uh, but, you know, oftentimes that 1% of the people will consume all available energy in a church, right? All of your time, all of your resources, you know, always have to talk to them, always trying to help them, trying to recover themselves, and, 
Uh, and, you know, some people will, will recover themselves, and, and I'm glad when that happens, and that's always my goal. Some people will just never do it. They already know everything, you know, uh, and, and, um, and nobody can teach them. You know, well, you know, and, and there's always hints, you know, you get, you fill out the visitor's card. You know, many, anybody here fill out one of these cards like this, but you get a visitor's card. You know, one of the boxes we have on there is what church are you a member of because we don't want to proselytize other people's church members. If they're visiting you know, on vacation or whatever, come and visit us, you know, enjoy fellowship with us and have a good life. You know, we're not going to try to, hey, come join our church or anything like that. And so that's why we put it there because we don't want to, well, sometimes you'll get, you know, people, you know, they say, what church you're a member of? They say, uh, the church, right? They put it in quotes and put the church, right? Which means they're not a member of any church. And so people like that typically are going to be troublemakers. There's no law, but that's usually one of the hints when they're a member of the church, right? Uh, who's your pastor? Jesus. Eh, Jesus is not your pastor. He's the great shepherd, but he puts under shepherds in the, in the world, didn't he, right? I mean, he, he set up the church the way he felt like setting up the church. And if he put under shepherds, then, then uh, you know, I mean, I, he's my shepherd in one sense, but I also have uh, folks like Brother Randy who, who um, I answer to by choice. Uh, and so, uh, you know, if you say Jesus is your, is your pastor, uh, and, and I just sit at home and let the pastor speak to me. You know, there's so many ways that's wrong, you know, but, um, and so, uh, but anyway, so, the, you know, the, so you learn some things in reading these and studying these uh, situations. You know, as a, as a pastor, I study these situations because, you know, I want to see if there's any guidelines there, see what, how Paul dealt with some things, uh, because you're going to have to deal with things, amen, in, in the church. You know, in, you know there, there have been times when I, from the pulpit, I said, look, if anybody, I don't name names, but if anybody starts asking you for money, just tell them, go talk to the pastor, right? And that's generally true, right? And I would encourage all of you, if, if another member of the church starts asking you for money, you know, look, if you're best of friends or whatever, fine, I'm, you know, but I'm talking about people who are taking advantage of people in a church. Uh, and, um, you know, I'd say, don't give them any money, tell them to come talk to me. Uh, and, um, and I remember that we had one situation where, you know, there, an individual was doing that. And I was going away for a trip, and I said, you know, and I actually went to a specific individual in the church. I said, when I leave on this trip, this person will come and ask you for money. Don't give them any money. Uh, and, and so uh, I left, and you know, what did they do? They went and asked that person for money. What did that person do? They gave money. <laughs> they said, well, the Lord told me to. Really, the Lord, the pastor told you not to give money, but the Lord overrode my authority that he gave to me and, and I mean, it wasn't really a, an authoritative, you know, he doesn't answer me, right? I mean, you know, I know you all have the Holy Ghost and, and, and you don't have to do what I say if it's not book, chapter, and verse, of course, right? And so, uh, you know, he, he was within his right to do that, I, I think, but he said the Holy Ghost told him to do it. That's the part I thought was odd because I can't imagine the Holy Ghost would do that because there's nothing immoral, unethical, or non-Bible non for me to, to say that. And a year later, he said, well, I was wrong. <laughs> I wish I hadn't done that. Well, okay, that's more likely to you know, the scenario, right? Uh, and because the reason why I said that is because uh, that person was just taking advantage of people, right? They were just taking money from people and, and, and um, uh, you know, feeling, getting them to feel sorry for them. And, you know, this is, you know, all these things are going on in my life. It's like, well, let's back up and find out how you got those things in your life, right? Let's back up and find out why you're in that situation. Amen. Well, I'm in a situation, you know, you've got to help me, but why are you in a situation? You know, and I have, I have found that over the years and working with people that when people are in a situation, 
they don't want to talk about how they got there, right? They want to talk about that they're there. Okay, well, let's talk about how you got there, right? You know, I don't have any money. Okay, well, let's talk about how you got there, right? Well, I gamble every day, you know, and I, you know, I, I smoke 16 packs of cigarettes a day, and I drink three liters of alcohol a day, and, you know, I mean, I, you, know, you do whatever you want to at home, none of my business, until you come and ask me for help, right? And then, um, and, and so, and I, and, uh, I do my best to be kind to people, and, you know, when, when they come and really need help, and, you know, we're, I think we're very gracious to people, and, uh, but some people are just, you know, they're, uh, they're very, uh, uh, I don't know what really the word is, but well, one thing the Lord showed me is that uh, oftentimes people will put themselves in a dire circumstance in order to, to prey upon your kindness. And so, you know, one person in particular said, you know, I'm sleeping in my car. You've got to help me. Okay. Well, that was after the church got them an apartment, got them all the furniture, all the, you know, the, all the people in the church donated furniture got the entire apartment filled with furniture right uh, televisions and i mean everything beds uh kitchen stuff lost it all and now they're sleeping in their car and uh, yet they have family members in the same city a bunch of family members you know in the same city so so but why are they telling you they're sleeping in a car it's to prey on your emotions right and so See, I'm not, I'm not easily moved by people's circumstances, you know. If, if, if it's genuine, right, it's fine, no problem, right? We've helped plenty of, plenty of homeless people come through here, and we've tried to help them as best we can. Uh, but there's people like that in the church who are there only to get things out of you. They're there only to get money out of your pocket, things out of your house. You know, uh, we went to church with somebody we were moving one time, and they said, hey, uh, uh, can I have all your uh, living room furniture, you know, if you're not going to keep it? well we're planning on keeping it you know and, and so i thought that was really bold you know and uh, but um <clears throat> there's just people like that you know who will do that amen and 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 my desire is to protect you you know if someone's going to do that uh, because uh, what i what i tell folks is look you don't have to be the bad guy let me be the bad guy so well i was going to you know the pastor said you know you might want to go talk to him first you know and see i can be the bad guy in that not that i'm really the bad guy but um because I want to protect you all, right? Because the worst thing in the world is to be taken advantage of. Uh, and I think, you know, if you're sincere in helping them, even if you're wrong, if you're sincere, I think the Lord is going to bless you and take care of you in that. But then that person now has gotten an advantage over somebody, right? And, and, and people will do that. There are people who come to church, uh, every, probably every church that's ever been around, they will come like locusts and get everything they can from that church and then move on. And, and um, that's just the way of the world, right? There's, there's carnality in the church and uh, now, what percentage of people are that? Very small percentage, right? Everybody's not that way. Back to the vast majority of people who need help are not that way. But every now and then people are that way, right? And so uh, and from my perspective, I'm going to make sure I'm never bitter or mad or angry with somebody for doing that, you know, because they're a person, they're a child of God. If they are Christian, you know, many of them are Christians. In fact, most of them that I've dealt with that are that way are Christians, you know, at least by their own profession. Uh, and so... So I'm not going to be bitter or angry towards them and, and be judgmental about them, but uh, they don't have any business doing that in the church, right? If they need help, come talk to me uh, and uh, don't prey upon the kindness of, of other people, right? Uh, and so, um, but again, uh, do, you, do you have to do what I tell you to do as far as not giving? I mean, you do whatever you want to, right? No problem with me. I mean, I, I won't lose a wink of sleep, right, at all. And that person right there that told, I told you that I said not give money, it didn't bother me a bit that they gave them all that money, or I gave them a lot of money, 
and, uh, <laughs> and then regretted it, you know. Well, I could have saved you some regrets, you know. And how many times have I done that in 14 years? I've done that one time. Just one time I've told somebody not to give somebody money, right? Because generally speaking, I'm not your Holy Ghost, right? I'm, I don't, I don't uh, tell you what to do. Um, someone was telling me the other day about the church they went to that uh, the, 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 the elders in the church were, um, not elders, but some of the deacons in the church were, were reading their social media and, 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 and making sure that the social media was up to par, right? Whatever posts they were doing on social media that they're up to par. And so they put some posting out there and used a particular translation and, and the deacons called them and said, hey, uh, don't be using that translation, you know, on your social media posts. <laughs> and uh, I thought, wow, that's, that's awesome, right? You know, I mean, uh, number one, none of my business, what you put on social media, right? Are, do you answer to me? Did I die for you? Do you pray to me? Well, then I'm not your authority, right? And so I'm the authority of the church, but I'm not your authority in the sense that I tell you what things to post, what things not to post, what translations to read, what translations not to read. I mean, you know, uh, and, and just in general, I was thinking about that today, about how extreme we get in the church, how it's so easy for us to get into extreme. See, I think that's extreme, right? I think that's way out of balance where I start calling you and telling you, hey, you can't buy that car. Hey, you can't date that person. Hey, you can't post that post on, on. I mean, that's to me, that's extreme. That's cultish, right? That, that's way beyond uh, my responsibility as a minister, as a pastor, even, you know, because uh, a pastor is the closest uh, minister gift to the, to the people of the church. Uh, but even as close as I am to you all, it is not my job to be your Holy Ghost. Not my job to... Now, if you ask me, hey, what translations are good, what translations are not good, I can give you a whole list, right? I'll give you a whole list of good ones, a whole list of bad ones. Well, I'm going to go read that bad one. Uh, I mean, I really don't care. You know, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Now, I might pray for you, you know, Lord, help and make sure they don't get all really whacked out, you know. Uh, and so... Uh, but as far as, you know... Uh, I'm not disinterested in it. I'm not uh, uncaring about it, but I'm not going to carry the burden of you doing something that that uh, that I would think might not be the wisest choice for you to do. Um, and so, and even if you know some things like, hey, you know, should I date this person or not? That's you know, I, I can't imagine a scenario where I would answer that question, right? Because that's not because if I tell you yes and it doesn't work out good, who are you going to blame? If I tell you no and you have regrets, who are you going to blame? It's not my job to tell you things like that, amen? That's the job of the Holy Spirit, which is a great advantage for the New Testament, amen? Don't you have the Holy Spirit in you? You know, you've got the exact same Holy Spirit that I do. In fact, you've got the exact same Holy Spirit that Jesus had, same exact one, amen? And so he's well able, amen? Uh, and so generally speaking, I have great confidence in you all that you have the Holy Spirit, that you'll know what to do in the, in the times, of, in the different situations and circumstances that wolves that come in won't take advantage of you. But I am always on the watch, right? I'm always on the watch for when wolves come in. And, and um, you know, if, lots of times what I'll see them do is they'll, I'll see them pull, pull a couple of sheep off to the corner, right? Start prophesying to them or start, you know. Uh, and and, I, and I'm not a suspicious person, but when I see that, you know, I, I get concerned because uh, so many times, when, like even when I, with, I was with my pastor, I saw people that would build their ministry inside of his ministry. Instead of helping him and his ministry, because they were part of his church, they would build their ministry. So they would have, you know, they go all to the certain people in church. Well, you and, and you only, once you come to a special Bible study at my house, not you, not you, but you and you, you know, you, you all, you come to, come to my house, have a special Bible study, right? To, to me, that's, that's, 
uh, unwise, right? It, it's, uh, uh, it would be unwise for you to do that, right? It'd be unwise for you. To, now look, is it okay to fellowship? 100% okay to fellowship. If you all want a Bible study, have a Bible study. But the concern that I see is when people are trying to build their ministry on the, on the backs of somebody else's ministry, taking advantage of their church, right? And, taking, and, and that, to me, is unethical, right? Uh, if you want to have a Bible study, have a Bible study, right? If you want to have a fellowship meal, have a fellowship meal, no problem, right? If you've got special friends in the church, you know, be friends with them in the church. It's not about you can't have relationships with people outside, you know, this building with people in, in the church. It's, it's the craftiness and, and the subterfuge of uh, people trying to take advantage of other people in a church. And that's the concern, right? That's always my concern. And I, I don't want people to take advantage of other people in a church. And it does happen, amen? Now, and in fact, the reason why we know that is because Paul mentions this here. In fact, uh, we, we talked about Mark last week and how John Mark or Mark, you go by a couple different names, um, you know, he got, he kind of got homesick and went home to his mom. And then Paul said, well, we're not going to take him on the next journey. And, and Barnabas wanted to take him and they split their ways right there in Acts 13. And later on, Paul did say, hey, send Mark along, you know, he can be helpful to me. So there was some reconciliation there. So it's nice to know, right? It's nice to know that, you know, if someone messes up, they can still get reconciled, right? They can straighten up and do better and, and uh, be used of God, amen, and by even the Apostle Paul. Let's turn over to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1. And we'll see uh, <clears throat> what Paul said here. Um, it says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, let's start in um, <clears throat> verse 18. He says, This charge I uh, commit unto thee, son Timothy. Uh, and so he's talking earlier, uh, later on, he, he says, uh, uh, back in verse, from verse 12 to 17, he was telling um, Timothy some things to do there. Uh, and uh, now he says in verse 18, this charge I committed to thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. So, so Timothy has been prophesied over, right? And Paul is saying, you know, these things are, are precious to you. Uh, and, and you can be encouraged by them to war good warfare, holding faith in a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck or made ruin, of whom is Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered unto Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. So, you know, th this is a pretty serious indictment right here, right? Um, and um, uh, especially about uh, uh, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He named these two guys, right? Uh, and he said that they uh, did have faith at one time, uh, but they put it away and have made a shipwreck, either of themselves and or of other people, right? Uh, and they are blaspheming. Uh, and so, so what are they doing? They're causing a problem in the church, right? Uh, and so, you know, the thing about sin, uh, and you've got to find the balance in that, right? And we've talked a little bit about that before, that... Uh, who in any given church at any given time has not got any sin in their life, right? Uh, and I'm not talking about, you know, terrible dark sins, but, you know, maybe, you got, uh, maybe you're resentful because your wife didn't make the bed this morning, right? Uh, she, should, she said, wait, make the bed, you know, I don't like it, you know, I don't like it bed not made, you know? And I hope my wife never is resentful for me because I usually make the bed because I get up after she does. But, you know, it's about 90% of the time I make it, you know, 10% 10, 10 of the time it's like, I ain't doing it. You know, sometimes sometimes rebellion, sometimes it's just like, I got stuff to do, right? And, and that one minute that takes the bed, because I mean, it takes like an entire minute, maybe two, to make the bed up, right? Uh, it's, it's just too much time. I got other things to do, right? 
<laughs> and, and so, but she's never resentful if I don't make the bed, you know. Uh, and, I, and I really do like making the bed because I don't like sleeping in a bundle of laundry, right? I mean, you get there, all the sheets are all messed up and are about, you know. Like, <clears throat> and so, uh, but, you know, uh, in fact, I, I was listening to something about um, Henry Ford back in the day um, uh, that one day he decided he's going to double everybody's pay, which is great. He said, but to qualify, I've got to come look at your house. And if your house is messy, you don't get it. Man, that's tough right there, right? I mean, what day of the week is he going to come, right? Uh, and so, uh, but, um, so, you know, what's the deal, right? Did, did you say something unkind? Did you get angry because the light was red? You know, I mean, all those things are, can be considered sin, you know, but, but they don't rise to the level of you're trying to destroy a church, right? You're not trying to lead somebody astray from the Lord, right? These guys are apparently leading somebody away from the Lord. They're blaspheming, right? They have... Uh, they were not holding on to faith. They did not have a good conscience. Uh, and so they're causing a big problem in the church. And so what did Paul do? He said, he has delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. Well, that's pretty serious, right? I mean, that's, you know, who does that? Right? I mean, who hands people over to Satan? Um, and so I thought just, just real quick, because um, uh, there's another case um, that Paul also mentions Alexander. I'll just read this real quick. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's in verse 14, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did, much, did me much evil. The Lord reward him according to his works, of whom be thou aware also, for he hath greatly withstood our words. Not sure if that's the exact same Alexander as this Alexander, uh, because in this case, uh, Paul said that he handed him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. I suspect that it's a different Alexander here, that there, whatever the reason is, maybe people named Alexander just didn't like Paul, right? Uh, but, um, but in this case, Paul handed him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So is that a real thing? Can you do that? Well, Paul did it. In fact, was this the first time he ever did it? No, it wasn't the first time he ever did it. So turn back to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So, you know, why are we covering this? Well, these are things that are going on in the church, right? These are things that, that are serious things, serious matters in the church, right? Uh, and so here uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, it says in, in verse 1, this is 1 Corinthians 5, 1. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's house. So, uh, so have, have his father's wife, rather. Um, so what's the deal? So this guy is sleeping with his stepmother, right? Which is kind of gross, right? I mean, so he's sleeping with his stepmother. And so, um, but uh, is, that a, is that a problem? Of course, it's a big problem, right? But it's a bigger problem that uh, the first part of this is it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. So who knew about it? Everybody knew about it, right? Now, if it was, if it was, if it was private, is it okay? It's 100% not okay, right? But if it was private, would you deal with it differently? Probably deal with it differently, right? Take them aside, say, hey, the Lord said that you're sleeping with your stepmother. You know, that's just gross and you need to stop that. And if you repent, you know, we'll move on. Uh, maybe they don't want to do that. Maybe they didn't want to do that, right? But uh, nobody approached this, this fella here, and it became uh, basically a point of pride to, hey, look what I'm doing. I'm doing the sin. Everybody knows it. No big deal, right? Uh, it's a big deal. Uh, and so, and that's the issue is open sin, you know, and, and, and again, what's the law? There's no law. The law is, Lord, what do you want to do? That's the law. The law is you find out what the Holy Spirit wants to do about that sin. Amen. Uh, too many times in the church, people love to find somebody else's sin and then go to the pastor and say, you've got to deal with this. 
well, okay, um, but why are you telling me what to do, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, uh, do, do I not know about that? Maybe I don't know about it, but if I do know about it, um, what if the Lord says, just wait a little while and, and uh, it'll either work itself out or, or there'll be a point in time in a week or two where it's the right time to talk to them or even a month or two, right? Do we have the grace to be with somebody that is not perfect as we pray for them and as, as we seek the counsel of the Lord, what should we do about that? Uh, from my perspective, we, we, never, we never approve of sin. We never are, are, are accepting of sin. We never say it's okay. We don't, we don't uh, excuse away the sin. Well, they've got heart. They've had a hard life, you know, and they've got needs and blah, 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 whatever euphemism we come up with. So we don't do any of that, right? Sin is sin, uh, and we don't make any excuse for it. But how do we deal with the sin? That's the question, right? How do we deal with the sin? Do we deal with all sin with a nuclear bomb, right? Should every, every uh, infraction of uh, natural law, you know, like jaywalking or speeding tickets, should every law be dealt with as a capital punishment, right? Oh, jaywalking to the guillotine, right? Oh, speeding tickets, you know, off with his head. I mean, is that how we should deal with it? Well, you know, that I would assume and hopefully that, that, uh, uh, that how we deal with it is to the level that, that the sin is, right? So now this is a problem here that it's reported commonly among you. Everybody in, in the Corinth church knew this was going on. So the problem with that is if people know this is going on and the leadership is basically either turned a blind eye or is accepting of it, then what does that cause other people in the church to do? Well, if they can do that, then I can do this. And if they can do that, then I can do this. So you end up, because that's, that's human nature, right? Human nature will always drive, without the Spirit of God, will always drive towards, you know, the worst possible lifestyle, right? Uh, and except for the Spirit of God and our spirits, uh, restricting our flesh, right? Because Paul said, I put my body under, I put my flesh under. Well, sometimes we don't put our flesh under. So what do we do? In that situation, what do we do? You know, one minister said, and I thought it was great wisdom, he said, pastors, whatever you do in moderation, your people will do in excess. So if I get up and say, you know, that's a sin, it's okay, you know, we'll let it slide, it's no big deal, you know, don't, don't make such a big deal of it, it's just a, you know. Now, if it's, you know, something that really is not a big deal, fine, right? But if you're sleeping with your, with your stepmother, uh, to me that sounds kind of like a big deal, right? I mean, that just, in my, in my heart, that seems like a big deal, right? Because it's a violation of all kinds of, of oaths, right? Um, and and uh, I mean, it's a violation of marriage uh, vows, right? It's a violation of natural order, right? I mean, it's, it's all kinds of uh, devils involved and stuff like that, amen? Uh, and so, what do you do about that? Well, there's no law, but this is how Paul dealt with it, and so we need to understand why he dealt with it this way, because it's commonly reported, and apparently nobody wanted to deal with it, right? Because he said, you are puffed up, in verse 2, and have not rather mourned, so puffed up. So they're, they're proud about it. Hey, we're, we're, we are a progressive church. Look at us. We are cool and hip. They're puffed up, right? Look at us. We've got people that are open sin, and God is still blessing us. Because other, this is in 1 Corinthians, uh, he said that uh, in another verse there, and I think it's in chapter 1 somewhere, uh, he said that you come behind in no good gift, right? And that word gift there is talking about... Um, the, the, the nine uh, gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So this church was a church where the gifts of the Spirit were in, 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 in constant manifestation, right? Especially speaking in tongues. And Paul had to 
kind of, you know, straighten them up with that because they got out of balance in that. But there was the nine gifts of spirit were in a manifestation of the church. They, you know, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, you know, special faith, gifts of healings, working of miracles and tongues, interpretation of tongues and prophecy were all in operation in the, the Corinthian church. So if you've got special miracles going on, if you've got gifts of healings going on, working of miracles, you've got special faith, raising people from the dead. It's really easy to think, well, we're okay. We can do whatever we want to. And then somebody over here is in public sin, open sin. And, and look, God's still moving. And even when they're in sin, so it must be okay. See, then, then doctrine gets really whacked out, right? Then people start saying, well, if it's okay for that, then it's okay for this. And, and that's the issue, right? The issue is who's being affected by the sin, right? Uh, what, is, what is the church, uh, what's, what's the church or how is the church dealing with that, right? If the church was in unison and saying, look, we've got to get this person recovered, you know, we're all in agreement. We all know it's sin, but we're going to pray for them. We're going to help them. We're going to counsel with them. We're going to spend time with them, help them get out of the sin. Well, then, you know, that's a good place to be, right? But everybody's not that way. You know, some people walk in sin, and three people will go like, I'm going to do that too. You know, if you've got a big enough church, there are people going to be like, well, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I can't do that one because I'm not married, but, you know, I'm going to do this one over here, right? So uh, the answer is, well, Lord, what do you want us to do? How do you want us to how do you want us to deal with it? This, this is how Paul dealt with it. So he said, For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already that as though I were present concerning him that has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, you can be gathered together in my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of his flesh, that the spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Now, at least in this case, we see that Paul's concern was for this person's eternal destiny, right? That because uh, what did he say that he's going to deliver it under one, one unto Satan? So what did that mean? You're going to deliver them unto Satan? Well, you've got to understand that in in the world today, because the church exists here in the world, that there's the grace and the mercy of God over the whole earth, right? Over the entire earth right now, and especially in the house of God, that there is the spirit of grace and mercy upon your life right now. And so if you commit a sin, it's not to the gallows immediately, right? The Lord will work with you. He'll get to try to get you to repent, get back in there. In between the time of your sin and your repentance, you know, you're kind of in that no man's land where, you know, you're, you've opened yourself up to the devil and he may try to do things in your life, right? Mercy will, will constrain it to some extent, but it won't constrain it entirely 100% forever. Now, where is that number? I don't know where that number is. It's up to the Spirit of God, right? He, he'll decide how far you, that you can extend mercy into your life. Uh, and so it's not my job to, to, to uh, go beyond that unless the Lord says to do something. Uh, and so, so uh, uh, Paul was concerned that this person's eternal destiny was at risk, that this person was a Christian there in the church, and that they, if they continue, and it is possible, right, it's possible to commit the sin unto death. We've talked about that before, but again, it's not for everybody. It's just for people that know enough of the Lord you know, that know the word, know the spirit of God, know the power of God to the point that if they decide to walk away, they are well aware of what they're doing. You talk to a baby Christian, hey, you know, you're going to start being a Christian today? Yeah, I think I'll quit being a Christian today. They don't really know what that means, right? They just, they want to break from, you know, wearing nice clothes or something, you know, and so, um, you know, if your two-year-old says, you're not my parents anymore, what would you do? Shut up, go to your room. You know, you wouldn't even think about it, right? Just, it's no big deal. But if your 22-year-old says, you're not my parents anymore, you'd be concerned, right? If your 52-year-old said, you're not my parents anymore, well, then that's a serious, you know, that's a serious thing, right? They really could. And I knew, I knew some adults that went to court 
and, and got the judge to, to divorce their parents from them, that they are no longer their parents. That's a legal thing you can do. I don't even know there's a thing, right? But it's a thing you can do, right? I mean, just don't talk to them. I mean, why you got to go to court? I mean, it's, it's just, I don't know, just foolishness, right? Uh, and they were Christians, you know, raising their hands, God, I love you, but I don't love them, but I love you, Lord. You know? <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know, you know, none of my business, you know, but that's just what happened. So, so Paul was concerned about this person's eternal destiny. So when he said, I, I handed him over to Satan, so basically he's, he's asking the Lord to remove his hand over their life, right? To remove the, the hand of mercy and grace off this person's life and then let the devil do whatever he wants to in their life, right? If he wants to kill him, then he'll kill him. If he wants to promote him into being the greatest sin in the world, then, you know, but he said for the destruction of the flesh, so he knows that there's nobody the devil loves. The devil doesn't love anybody. He hates everybody, amen? And he'll kill everybody if he can, either soon or, or very soon, right? As soon as he can. So he knows that this person's life will be cut short on this earth if he does this. But he says, if I do this now, this person will leave this earth still being a Christian and their spirit will be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, you know, if you just commit a sin, whatever the sin is on this earth, just a regular garden variety sin, whatever it is, you know, you, you got mad and you said bad things to the dog. You're not going to die and go to hell for that. You know, you're going to need to repent for that, but, you know, but you're not going to die and go to hell for that because you, are, are you still saved? Well, yeah, I mean, but there are people who believe if you commit a sin, you're no longer saved. So that doesn't make any sense because if, if 1 John 1, 9 is so, which it is so, confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, you, you don't sin and then lose your salvation and repent and get saved again, right? I mean, the book of Hebrews is very clear about that, that you can't crucify again to yourself the, 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 uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, so when you sin, you're out of fellowship with the Lord in that, in that time period, but you're still saved and then you repent, and now, you, now the unrighteousness that was there has now been removed out of your life, but you're still, you were saved before, you are saved during, you are saved after. And that seems to be lost in some people. They, they're of the opinion that if, and there are whole groups of the church who believe that if, if you're a Christian and you sin, you're no longer a Christian, and if you died, you'd go to hell, but if you repent, you can then become a Christian again, that they don't have any understanding of how salvation actually works right because you're not getting born again you only get born again one time it's a one-time deal right you don't crucify you know you're accepting the crucifixion of the lord in order to get saved you're not re-crucifying the lord every time you you ask for forgiveness so does that mean we can live however we want to you're already living how you want to i live don't you don't you every day aren't you living exactly how you want to yeah you are i'm living exactly how i want to i'm i'm trying to sin as less as i can as much as is that, did I say that right? You know, as little as I can. <laughs> I'm trying to sin as much as I can. I'm not trying to sin as much as I can. I'm trying to minimize how much, you know. And I'll go for days, weeks, months, and years without sinning, you know. Uh, and, and when I consider sin, I mean, to me, if I, if I have a bad thought about my wife because the biscuits are burned, you know, I, I'll repent about that. And I consider that a sin, right? If I, if I catch myself worrying about a situation, I consider that a sin. So, uh, and I'll repent of it, you know, and, and I'll ask the Lord. So, um, so this is what Paul did. He handed him over to Satan for the destruction of his what? Of his flesh, not the destruction of his spirit, but the destruction of his flesh. So if he, if he leaves early, if he leaves this earth early, his spirit is still saved, right? His spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus, right? That's what he said. So Paul is aware, and if you look at all of Paul's writing, it's very clear, right? You go to 1 Corinthians 7 and look at some of those things in, in, in chapter 6 and chapter 8. 
and understand how the whole process that works. To me, this is not difficult, but it's diff difficult for some people to accept, but it's not difficult for me to accept or to understand because it's really, really hard to lose your salvation. I mean, it's just, it's just so hard to do it because the blood of Jesus is that precious, right? And to, to act like it's so fragile, to me, shows very little regard for the blood of Jesus, right? I mean, uh, just real quick, over in, in first, first John chapter 5, he makes this distinction, which I think is a good distinction that will help us understand these things. Uh, he said in first John chapter 5, he said in verse 16, if any man see his brother sin, a sin which is not in death, he shall ask and he shall give him life. So who's sinning? His brother. Well, you saw your brother sin. So he's still his brother, right? He didn't stop being his brother. He's still his brother. So if you see your brother sin, what should you do? Well, pray for him, right? And ask. And he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. So... Uh, this is an interesting verse, and we've not really spent enough time in the church. You know, the, the problem is because there's not a lot of details related to this exact statement here. But basically, John is saying, look, if you see somebody else sin, you can pray and get them out of that sin and get them forgiveness for that sin without them even repenting, you know, which is really unusual. I mean, and it, we don't have a lot of doctrine about this, but it's, it's here, right? You can pray, and where, where they are in that sin, they can get out of that sin by, just by your prayers. Now, but is this an unlimited verse? It's not an unlimited thing. He said there's a limit there. The limit is if they haven't sinned a sin that's unto death. Um, now, uh, this sin, this, he said in the end of that verse, there is a sin unto death. I do not say that he shall pray for it. Well, he has to be talking about spiritual death here because if it, if it was just physical death, you know, all sin is going to lead to physical death if it's left unchecked, right? Uh, all sin, sin and death always go together, right? And, and so... There's always, uh, sin will always strive towards physical death, and if it can, it will pursue all the way up to spiritual death. Uh, but the vast majority of sins that the church commits will only result in, spirit, in physical death if it gets that far. Uh, and John is saying, look, you can pray for your brother if, if it's just, you know, so what's a sin not unto death? The vast majority of sins, right? The sin that's unto death is when you, as a mature Christian, say, I do not want to, to have the Jesus is my Lord anymore in my life. I'm walking away from this situation. And that's a sin of the spiritual death. And he said, you cannot pray for that because that cannot be repented of because you cannot, you cannot crucify the Lord Jesus to yourself again. Uh, and so I didn't really plan on going into all this tonight, you know, because, but I think it's helped. To, uh, and we have talked about this a few times here in the church because I think it's good to have that the whole spectrum of understanding of how these things work, amen? That when you get born again, the vast majority of Christians are going to spend their life trying to serve the Lord to the very best of their ability. I think that's the way the most of the church goes. You get a few people that are always trying to play both sides of the fence. You know, they like the, like the world, they like the church. But Paul said, be not conformed to this world. But why did he say, be not conformed to this world in Romans chapter 12? Why did he tell the church not to be conformed to the world? Because there were people who were trying to conform to the world, right? Well, is that a sin? Well, surely it's a sin, right? If you're trying to act like the world, sound like the world, uh, do things that the world does, surely that would be a sin that you'd need to repent of. Uh, and so, so you, got, you, know, you get a small percent of people like that who are always trying to conform to the world, do things like the world does. And, you know, I mean, churches, some churches have keg parties, keg, you know, keg party on Friday night, you know, at a church. And, okay, fine, none of my business, but sounds crazy to me, but... 
Um, so, so Paul or John there in John chapter 5 says there, there is a limit to these things, right? The, and a limit is, now who judges that? Well, the Lord's going to judge that. It's not my mind to judge, right? The Lord's going to judge that. Where if you commit the sin of the death, then um, he's going to know that, amen? And, and so you go back then to 1 Corinthians 5. This is what Paul was trying to avoid. Because if this man, apparently this man was somebody in the church that, that knew enough about the Lord Jesus that he could have gotten to this position where he could have gone to the point where I reject the Lord Jesus, where he says those words, right? And he walks away from the church. And, and Paul knows that if he does that, he has committed the sin of the death and there's no repentance and that's it. That's, you know, that's, that's the end of the discussion for that person. And so Paul, in his mercy, was saying, I'm going to hand this person over to Satan for the destruction of flesh, that his spirit might be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So does that make sense? See, it makes sense in my, in my mind. And in my mind, if you could see my mind, just pop up my mind, it all just, you know, really clear, right? Uh, and so you've got a small percentage of people that are that in danger, right? vast majority of people that are in sin in the church, you know, they're, they're never going to accept, they're not, they're, in the sin, they're not going to be receiving the blessings of the Lord, right? Uh, but, you know, a lot of times it's in that one area. Other areas, they may be prospering with the Lord. So, you know, it, it's, uh, I leave it in the Lord's hands. Whatever he wants to do is whatever he wants to do, right? Uh, and so, because some people are of the opinion, if you commit any sin, you know, a curse on you, a hex on you. And I don't see that with the Lord. How many people that, that are in sin are the healthiest person in the church, right? Uh, or, or some people in sin that are the most prosperous in the church, and legally, right? Not, you know, I mean, you can be prosperous illegally, but... Uh, you know, there, there are, you see, you know, some people in the church that are in sin, they've got the best character ever, right? Except for this one thing that they just do, right? And, but they would never lie. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there, uh, how is that possible? Well, because God made us to be complicated people, right? And, and so, uh, so, from my perspective, I, don't, I try not to make any laws, you know. This is how you deal with every sin. There's, if you make a law like that, you will be wrong. You will, you will do something wrong. You will either overcorrect or undercorrect. You'll just, you know, in, in my, in my uh, time as a pastor, what I have found that works the best for me is, Lord, what do you want to do? How do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to say? Do you want me to address it? You know, and then because who's smarter than all of us? Well, the Lord is, amen. And look, I'm fine with whatever he says. I mean, if he says go confront them, which I have, I go confront them, right? Uh, if he says let it ride, I'll let it ride. Uh, well, why does he say that? Uh, the times that he told me to do that, it took care of itself. Those people just, they wouldn't repent. They just left the church. And Because, uh, see, here, here's the issue. If I get up, um, you know, there, there was a time when, when the Lord told uh, Dr. Dufresne, you call out these four people in the church, they're swapping wives, right? Uh, and, and so, uh, and he did. He called them out publicly, you know, you're swapping wives, you know, y'all not do that. Kind of this situation right here. Well, you know, the, uh, and that's not a problem because if the Lord says do it, you've got to do it. But how many people in a church do you think were upset that he did that and maybe not even come back to church and may never go back to church again because the Lord told him to do that? And so he, here's the issue is, you know, I can deal with any sin. It doesn't bother me a bit. I, I mean, the worst sin, you know, the, 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 the most terrible sin you can imagine, I could deal with it with grace, no problem. But everybody's not there. You know, you tell some people that so-and-so is sinning and they will have a fit. They will curl up in a fetal position and cry. They will demand that, you know, that off with their head. They will want them burned at the stake. I mean, you know, there's certain people just, they don't have the grace to deal with 
situations like that. Uh, and so you've got to be careful because I may deal with, with uh, this person's sin over here in such a way that causes this person over here to stumble. So, you know, you, you've, got to, you've got to understand that everybody's not the same level of faith. Everybody's not the same level of grace. You know, I had a pastor we was talking to, and, and um, he had somebody that had been in the ministry with him for many years and um, decided, I'm going to leave. I'm going to leave the ministry. But they were like, an, you know, uh, led the praise and worship music, or like an elder in a church, you know, uh, you know, they'd been around forever. And they were going to leave. And the pastor said, do you think, you know, we should have them call up and, and, um, and lay hands on them and, you know, tell them goodbye? And I said, well, do you agree with that they're, that they're in the will of God? Well, no. Well, then how are you going to pray? If you don't believe in the will of God, what are you going to pray? Because you're going to lie. You're going to say, Lord, to bless them, you know. How are you going to bless them if you know they're out of the will of God? Because, you know, the Lord shows you that. Now, you know, uh, is everybody out of the will of God that's left the church? No. Uh, uh, it, what about the people that left this church? Well, no, none of my business. If they leave, that's between them and the Lord. I'll leave it at that, you know. They're not my enemy. Uh, and don't you ever make anybody that's left this church and your enemy. They are not our enemy. They're children of God like us. Amen. And what if they're wrong when they left? Well, that's between them and the Lord. Amen. I mean, I'll just leave it at that. I'm not mad at them because if they come back, I'll be glad to see them. Amen. Uh, and so, so, uh, so my counsel, and in fact, it was me and another pastor were talking to this other third pastor, and we said, you know, we'd recommend that you don't do that because if you get up there and say this person is leaving, you know, uh, everybody in the church doesn't have the same grace that you have. Somebody in church is going to go, is there something wrong with our church? Maybe I should leave too, right? And, and, you know, of course, if they're out of the will of God anyway, but how many people have the grace of that? So you've got you've to look at the whole picture, right? You've got to make sure that, you know, because everybody's important, right? All you all important. And uh, if I do something that causes your, your faith to stumble, see, then I'm in error in doing that, amen? So I've got to find the right counsel, and, and it's precarious sometimes, right? Lord, only you have enough wisdom to know how to deal with the situation correctly, amen? Only you have enough wisdom to do this where half the church isn't going to get mad if I do it and half the church isn't going to be mad if I don't do it, right? And, and, and so, uh, so that, you know, that you have to consider that too, right? But this is a, a serious situation that's, that was causing other people to stumble. And when that happens, then that's a, that, to me, that's a real issue. When that starts happening where this person is causing other people to stumble, you, you've got to deal with it, right? Uh, and, and that's the situation here. And this person did not want to repent they didn't want to, to, to stop doing this. Impossible. Here's how I'm going to deal with that. Uh, and so are we okay with that? Well, I'm okay with it because that's what Paul did, right? And we've got to, we've got to assume that it's by the Spirit of God because the Spirit of God uh, told them to write this down. Amen? Uh, and if it's, it's inspired by the Spirit of God to do this. And, and so is this, uh, how often is it going to happen? Well, uh, actually, with Paul, it's happened twice, right? <laughs> Here and in, and in First Timothy, two people he's handed over to Satan for, for the destruction of their flesh, right? Now, this person, he did it uh, really, I believe, out of mercy, right? Lord, uh, uh, have them check out early so they still make it to heaven. With uh, Alexander and Hymenaeus, he said I've, uh, back in First Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, I have delivered them unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So these people were stiff-necked, right? Were causing a problem in the church. And, and, and he doesn't even say anything about their eternal destiny um, because it says, holding faith in a good conscience which some have put away. So these people have put away their faith. So I'm wondering if they had not made it past that line where 
they have rejected the Lord Jesus and there's no hope for them anyway, so just get them out of here, right? Lord, you've got to get them out of here. Uh, and uh, so, uh, but how many people in all of Paul's travels did he deal with? I mean, thousands of people, right? No doubt thousands of people. He was at the church of Antioch. There was thousands of people there, right? So probably tens of thousands of people, maybe more than that in Paul's ministry, right? Two people that he's ever did this to. So when I see ministers get them say, well, I handed them over to Satan for the structure of flesh, and then I see that on a common occurrence, right? <laughs> you know, I think, you know, number one, are you doing it because you desire mercy for them or are you just mad at them, right? Because I've seen it mostly as a, a, a um, bat to beat people up with. If you don't straighten up, I'm going to hand you over to Satan for structure of your flesh. Well, I, you should never do that in anger because, number one, you don't have the authority to do that except the Lord gives you that authority, amen? Uh, and, and people are saying things like that now. When I was with my pastor, uh, he, he never did use this, but one thing he did use, and, and we'll never do that around here, of course, uh, but you remember back in the Old Testament when, when Miriam and, and Aaron sinned against Moses, uh, the Lord told Moses, put her outside the camp, right? Put her outside the camp. She got leprosy, put her outside the camp uh, and, and um, for seven days. Uh, and so did Moses do that? Sure. Uh, and so... Uh, but what did the nation of Israel do? Nothing. They, did they keep on moving? No, they stopped, right? The entire nation stopped while Miriam was out for seven days outside the camp, right? Now, is that Old Testament or New Testament? Old Testament, right? So, number one, it's Old Testament, so I would encourage you, that's not even a thing, right? I mean, but um, because, you know, for me, more than once, the, the, my pastor said, I put you outside the camp, to me, <laughs> And so, what, you know, the Lord, how, how gracious he is, the Bible says, when they read about Jesus, that he was crucified outside the gate. And I thought, wow, so me and Jesus are in the same place, right? Because he's outside the gate, I'm outside the gate, and I guess we're together, right? Uh, and so, but the thing is, I was outside the camp for, what, a couple years, three years, something like that? Uh, and Miriam was only out there for seven days, and she publicly, you know, uh, publicly uh, dishonored and usurped authority against Moses. I never did anything publicly like that. I never did anything privately like that, actually. And so uh, I'm never going to play. That's just a game, right? That's, that's using fear to, uh, and threats to control you all. My job is not to control you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit, amen? Uh, that's, to me, that's just games. That's foolishness. It shows how immature we can be sometimes. And I'm not mad at my pastor for doing that, you know, he... You know, he, he struggled in some areas, but that was, you know, uh, how long we uh, just, and I wasn't the only one they put outside the camp. You know, there was a whole bunch of us out there having a good time, I guess, you know, but, um, well, I'd just stay there. I had to stay there till I had to stay there, right? So, uh, but, um, but it, it, didn't, it didn't affect me even a little bit to be put outside the camp because, I mean, basically it's, it's you know, we're not going to invite you to all the, all the trips, you know. We're not going to ask you to go out to eat with us, you know. I mean, it was just, you know, they blackballed you and it's just, you know, what are you, 12 years old on a, you know, on the playground or something, right? You can't play with my ball. I mean, that's basically what it was, you know. Uh, and uh, my friend Jerry's probably watching this. He was, he was outside the camp with me on occasion, you know, and so, uh, but... Um, <laughs> Uh, we, we get to laugh at them now, right? Laugh at these situations now. But um, uh, because one, one thing, it, it taught me that this is, this is foolishness, right? It, it's immature. That's not how you deal with things. You know, where adults will deal with things at an adult level, right? Hey, that's sin. You don't need to do that. I'm going to keep doing it. Well, then move on. You know, that's, that's what an adult would do, right? This, I'm going to put you outside the camp. That's just, what does that even mean, right? 
it means I don't get to go to lunch with you. I mean, I don't like going to lunch with you anyway if you're going to be mean to me like that. But uh, So, you know, we ought not play church. We ought not play games with people's lives. Amen? That's, that's immature, and it's, and it's ungodly, really, to be honest. Uh, and when the, when the pastors start exercising Old Testament authority over people's lives, we're way out of bounds. I mean, way beyond our scope because the authority that a pastor has in the New Testament is much, much less uh, in people's lives than the authority that the Old Testament uh, people like Moses and the prophets and the priests and kings had because they didn't have the, old, they didn't have the, the Holy Spirit. You've got the Holy Spirit. So my authority is very small, right? My authority is to run this church and make sure this church is running well and the authority to speak what the Word of God says. And that's really it as far as authority over your life. The only, way, the only place I have authority over your life is if you're working for me, right? If you're singing or if you're greeting a door, running this, the sound, then I've got authority in that, but not as far as your eternal destiny, and that goes, you know. Uh, but in this situation, as the head of the church, if you just will not repent, then, then I've got to find out, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so this is pretty serious, right? But this is like nuclear bomb serious, right? This is having exhausted every other opportunity, this is nuclear bomb, right? And so... It's happened twice in all of Paul's ministry in the tens of thousands of people that he dealt with over the years, then it should be, uh, you know, for someone like us that at a local church, it may never happen. Probably will never happen, right? Uh, but I, I was flipping through the channel one time and just watching somebody randomly on a church that I know, and they got up and said that. I handed them over to Satan. For the, like, the one chance I'm watching them, they did that? Well, how many other times have they done that, right? Probably a bunch, amen? Uh, and that's where... Well, I was talking at the beginning of the service about the extreme that we get into the church, how, how often we get into extremism, uh, and just things that are just not, you know, we use biblical words. Those are biblical words, right? I've handed you over to Satan for the structure of your flesh. But it's so out of bounds, so extreme, so beyond the Spirit of God that it's embarrassing uh, to, to, uh, to, to, to the Lord, you know. It's embarrassing to him. So, so that, that, that was serious. I mean, these are serious things. And so it looks like Hymenaeus and Alexander had gone beyond where they could go. They've left the faith, right? And so, but they're still causing trouble. So Paul's like, we're not having this. You know, you're not going to cause any more trouble. Uh, and, and, and look, I, I know I've dealt with, uh, or not dealt with, but uh, with Brother Hagin dealt with some of these things. And um, there was a situation where uh, this, uh, this pastor was married and his wife left him, just left him, you know, and, and so... Um, well, what do you do? Nothing you can do, right? I mean, they got divorced, and, and uh, you know, Brother Hagin was, was fine with the pastor still pastoring. And, and of course, that happened to, I remember Dr. Dufresne, uh, you know, he was pastoring a church of like a thousand people in Denver. And um, his wife just got up one day and said, I don't want to be a wife anymore. I'm, I'm gone. I mean, before that, it was fine, right? After that, you know, she's gone. And so people started calling him, Hey, can I have your TV? Equipment because I know you're closing your church because you're getting a divorce. And then people, hey, can I have your pews, right? Can I have your sound system? Can I? Because you, you you surely can't be in a ministry because you're getting a divorce. And he said somebody called him up one time saying that, and he, and he just hollered at him and said, "I'm not dead yet." And he slammed the phone down, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but then he went and spent some time with Brother Hagen and, and Lester Sumrall, and they they had his back, right? Because you know he's not at fault. You know, was he perfect uh, husband? I'm sure he wasn't, you know, but. The wife just gets up and leaves. What do you do? You nothing you can do about that. So he wasn't at fault, uh, and uh, we don't seem to have any grace for people who have done no wrong, right? Guilt by association in the church sometimes. But 
so anyway, there was another situation where the same kind of thing, wife left, the pastor, and then she, but she started bothering the church, started, started, you know, calling up, said, I'm going to come to that church and, and, and mess everything up for you, right? And just, well, they, in that situation, what, what the Lord told Brother Hagin to do is you take authority over the spirit that's driving her. So in that case, she was yielding to a, to a demonic spirit. And so by the authority of the Lord Jesus as the head of the church, the Lord Jesus said, you deal with that spirit. You know, that person has come to you to ask you for help. That pastor's come to you to ask you for help. So I'm going to grant you the authority to deal with that situation. You, you command that spirit to stop influencing her in the name of Jesus. Uh, and so, uh, or to constrain that spirit, right? So she'll still, the spirit will still influence her, but it won't influence her to go beyond, to cross the boundaries of the church. So whatever she does after that is between her and, the, and that spirit, right? But, so that's how he dealt with it. Did she make it to heaven? I don't know in that case, you know, whether she did or not, but um, uh, he, didn't, he didn't say what her eternal destiny was. But uh, has there ever been a case where a Christian yields to a spirit? I mean, all the time, right? I mean, not, not all the time, like all of you all the time, but all the time, like every day, somebody in the church is yielded to a spirit that they ought not yield to, right? Spirit of lust or spirit of, uh, of, of anger or spirit of, of depression, you know, spirit of fear. All those are spirits, right, that, that uh, control those things and you yield to them. You know, are you going to lose your salvation for that? I don't, I can't imagine you would, right? Uh, but, so, uh, uh, so in this case, pretty serious, right? Uh, and I, you know, this is one of the most serious things here, but uh, we're about out of time today. But, but, you know, in looking at these things, you know, I felt like it was helpful uh, to go through. And we've got a few more to go through. But I think it's helpful to go through there because what we want to see is that as mature Christians, we want to know that if the Lord needs to deal with something in a, special, in a specific way, we need to allow the Lord to deal with that in a specific way. Amen. And uh, we need to have confidence that the leadership uh, is doing that. You know, if, if the Lord if the Lord has ever told me to do anything like that, you know, I would, I would talk to, to the leaders in the church before I did something like that. In fact, years ago, there was someone the Lord, I believe the Lord said, uh, they need to leave the church. And so I went to more than one person in the church that, hey, this is what I believe I need to do. I need to go and talk to this person and say, you need to leave the church. And they said, please don't do that. Uh, and, and multiple people, right? Now, all of them were wrong. They should have left the church, right? But, you know, and, and that's my opinion that they are all wrong. But I still, I still didn't do that because that's what was their heart. Because if I did that anyway, see, they would be hurt, right? Even though they weren't involved with it, but because, you know, I asked somebody to leave the church. And I'm not above that, right? I mean, if, you know, they had just barely gotten to that point where they needed to leave the church. But if somebody was, you know, like way, you know, just strife every day, I, no problem. I wouldn't even ask them. I'd just, hey, you just need to go, you know, leave the church. Don't come or come back. I wouldn't even blink an eye about that at all. But, uh, but... It's good to look at these situations because these are serious situations that are going on in the church, right? Is this in the church? All of these situations are in the church, right? And so as a church grows, any church is going to deal with their people like this, right? And you might be thinking, who does this? People do this every day, right? Uh, even in the short term, that, short time that we've been a church, there have been people that have risen not quite to hand them over to Satan for the destruction of flesh, but yielding to demonic spirits and causing strife, right? Uh, and so, uh, you know, there's nobody the Lord's ever told me, well, you handed them over to Satan for destruction of flesh. Uh, I, I think long before that, you know, I would uh, get the authority to deal with the spirits causing that problem. And if they still wanted to yield to the spirits, which they can, then at some point, well, then you and your spirits need to go on, right? Just 
need to go on. Amen. Uh, and so are we okay with that, right? Uh, we're all okay because none of us are in this situation, right? Well, wow, you know, I'm glad that. So in, in all of that, you know, and let me just finish up this because next week we'll maybe talk a little bit more about some of these other examples. But, you know, the thing about sin that I would encourage you all to, to appreciate is, like, like we said at the beginning, there's always going to be sin in the church, right? There's always going to be people in the church that have got sin. So we need, to, we need to be mature enough that we're not okay with it, but we don't condemn the people, right? Our job is not to condemn anybody. Our job, according to Galatians 6.1, is to restore everybody that we can. Amen? And so uh, my heart is I don't, I, don't, uh, I don't accept any sin. I don't approve of any sin. I don't say every, any sin is okay ever, right? It's never okay. Uh, but at the same time, if the Lord says, just leave it alone for right now, then I'm confident that he is well able to continue to speak to that person, to encourage him to say, hey, you know, get back out of that sin, right? Get back and get right with the Lord. Because if you come down on a hammer with that person, they may never recover themselves. They may never get back right with the Lord and spend the rest of their natural days away from God, away from his blessings, away from helping other people. And you've basically ruined that person's spiritual life. And I've seen it time and time again where pastors would just, just take a stick of dynamite and blow up somebody's life to protect the church as if we're all fragile human beings that we can't, you know, pray for somebody that needs help. Amen. So what I would encourage all of us to do is if you see somebody in sin, number one, what's, uh, check your own heart. Lord, what's my desire? Well, they need, to, they need to repent. If that's your heart, you need to repent. If your heart is, Lord... Uh, how can I help restore them? That's the right heart to have, amen? Uh, and that's an appropriate heart, amen? Uh, and, and so, because even if I ask somebody to leave, I could do it without any anger. I, I would do it without any malice, without any uh, uh, resentment. Um, I could ask them to leave and, and, and be fine with it, amen? Uh, because I can't, I can't if, my, if my heart gets wrong, I'm no better than the person I'm helping or trying to correct, amen? Uh, and so, so let's find that balance, Amen? Uh, I think the best balance is Jesus in John chapter 8 where he was with the woman caught in the very act of adultery. Is adultery wrong? It's wrong. Has it ever been not wrong? No, it's always been wrong. Is it okay now? It's not okay now. So is it always going to be wrong forever? It's always going to be wrong forever. What did Jesus tell her? Uh, Neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Sin no more. Right. So did he condemn her? No. Did he recognize what she was doing with sin? Absolutely. Amen. And if we can find that balance, we'll be okay. We'll be safe in the church. Amen. Uh, and so just know we're never approving of any sin. Well, he ain't doing nothing about that sin. Well, you know, maybe come talk to me about it and we'll find out, you know. Uh, I'll ask you, first thing I'm going to ask you is how much are you praying for them, right? How much have you prayed for them today? Uh, or how much have you talked about them today? How much have you gossiped about them, you know, since you found out about their sin? How many of you did you call and tell other people about their sin? Uh, I, I was I want them to pray. Hey, I need you to pray for sister so-and-so. She's in a sin. Have you seen what it is? It's really gross. It's, you know, you know. Uh, that's probably not the appropriate way to deal with it, right? <laughs> so, um, uh, you know, there, there, is, uh, there is a little bit of, of uh, um, not so much eggshells, but you have to be real cautious about discussing these things sometimes in the church because people have got very strong opinions about this area, right? And this should be done this way. And anytime I see somebody that has a law that has to be done this way, they are already outside the will of God. To me, there's no law. The law is, Lord, what do you want to do? And that, to me, that, that's the safest law, amen? Because if, if I make a law, then when I've said, Lord, there's no opportunity for mercy, this is what's going to happen every time. And so the Lord can't speak to me. 
he can't lead me to do to maybe save that person, right? Protect them and recover them. There's nothing I can do about it. They're just going to get the hammer, right? And if all I do is is uh, live by the hammer, I'll end up dying by the hammer. Amen. Uh, and so let's pray and thank the Lord for His word. So Father, we thank you for the word, and Father, we thank you for your blessings and kindness and goodness, Father. Lord, we thank you that uh, there is wisdom and grace in every situation, Father. We accept no sin. We approve of no sin, Father. But how we deal with the sin is entirely up to you and to your spirit, Father. If your word is clear, then we follow that, Father. But it's rare that your word says, in every case of sin, here's how to deal with it. And so, Father, we always seek for mercy and we seek for restoration if we can, Father. Uh, and, Lord, whatever your spirit says to do, that's what we'll do. And we thank you for that, Father. We give you the praise and the honor for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's get ready to receive this evening's offering. You know, uh, growing up, uh, you ever, you ever uh, been a kid growing up and your mom and dad does something and you say something like, I will never do that as a parent. Anybody ever said that? What have you done? You made a law, right? You just made a law. I will never spank my kids. Really? Even though it's, is, you know, uh, spanking okay in the Bible? Sure, it's okay in the Bible. So uh, really, you should never beat your children. It would be an appropriate thing to do, right? Uh, and so come ahead, Mr. Jared, and receive the offering. So, you know, what I wanted to encourage about is, in all those things that I dealt with with my pastor, I learned a lot of things not to do, but I don't have a law. You know, even though I saw, you know, how he dealt with a lot of things like that. And I asked him about it one time. I, I went to his office, and I, and I said these words. I said, Pastor, why is it when these situations come up in the church that you wait and wait and wait to deal with it, and then at the end you deal with it with an atomic bomb? That's what I said, with a nuclear bomb, you know. And he would, he would do that. He would wait till something got so bad, and then he would just blast them from the pulpit, right? But he never would talk to them between now and then, right? When it first started out, he wouldn't just go, hey, you know, this is an issue. Can we deal with it? You know, can we talk about it? You know, he never would do that. It'd be just you ignore it, ignore it, ignore it, and then just blast them from the pulpit, right? With a, with a you know, a hand grenade or something. And so I asked him about that, you know, because that was my observation. And he was, he was 100%, you know, and it's a, he said, I don't know. He said, I guess this is my anointing on my life. That's what he said. I guess my anointing in my life, you know, there's, there's a nuclear bomb anointing. I didn't know that that was a thing, right? Uh, no, I mean, you know, it's dealing with people can be difficult sometimes, right? Uh, and, and that's really the issue is, we, uh, and so what I wanted to just encourage you before we go is I haven't gone through all those things. I went with my pastor and said, I'm never doing that. I'm never doing that. I'm never doing that. I just learned from him and said, well, I'm just gonna let the Lord decide. And then I'm good. If he says do it exactly that same way, fine. I, you know, it's probably never going to happen. But if he says to do it that way, that's fine, right? I'm fine with that, amen? Uh, and so I don't have a, I'm never doing that, you know, uh, because then I open myself up to allowing those sins to come in, you know, and, and whatever. So anyway, we'll deal with it, amen? Uh, we're good right now, though, right? I mean, we've been good for many, many years, actually, you know, no problems. Everything's going great, you know. But it will happen, right? Somebody will come in, you know, some, some person wants to, mess everything up and you know we'll move on amen so i'm always moving forward amen so be good be blessed and have a good week we'll see you on on sunday